Jump for joy! Hi, I'm Sadie, and this is Jump for Joy. Each episode, inspiring professionals share their secrets to living a healthy, joyful life. In today's episode, I chat with Courtney Swan of Real Foodology. Courtney is the integrative nutritionist and personal assistant to the international pop star Tove Lo. Courtney tells us her favorite healthy snacks for travel, how to really read egg labels, the best kind of humane meat to buy, and what about fat? Listen and you'll find out. Welcome to the show, Courtney. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. So for people who don't know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, okay. So uh, my name is Courtney Swan, and I'm the creator behind Real Foodology. And I'm also a nutritionist for the singer Tovlo. So I travel around the world wherever Tove goes. Um, and that right now is more of my main focus. But when I'm home, I, I uh, work on Real Foodology, which is um, a health and wellness website. That's amazing. Oh, sounds so much fun touring the world. So what does your job entail being her nutritionist? Yeah. So, you know, I, I also double as her personal assistant too, just because she needs kind of an extra pair of helping hands on the road. Um, but mostly my job is to make sure that her as well as like our band and crew eat really well on the road. So, um, I advance our catering. I make sure that our bus is stocked full of healthy, good food. Um, I make sure that we eat at, you know, healthy organic restaurants every day if we're not getting catering. And it's mainly just, you know, to make sure everyone's healthy. And we travel so much. I mean, sometimes we fly every other day. So I travel with um, a full case of supplements, you know, to keep us healthy and make sure that nobody gets sick. And it's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, that's amazing that she has you there because I know I'm a singer too. So sometimes, yeah. well, not, not professionally like her, but <laughs> it's always so hard to like, you know, keep your voice well and you don't want to get a sore throat or a cold because that could be so detrimental to your performances. So absolutely. Yeah. So what are your um, main things that you do to keep the whole crew healthy throughout the tour? Uh, well, so the first one I said, I make sure that, you know, we're constantly stocked up on good, healthy, organic food. Um, every morning I run to a juice bar or a smoothie place and I grab some sort of organic green juice um, just to, you know, fill our bodies with phytonutrients. Uh, and then if anyone feels like they're starting to get sick, I have a few supplements that I swear by. I don't know if I'm allowed to like drop the brand names or not, but I mean, I think you could just for the people here, this isn't, she's not trying to cure you of any disclaimer, not trying to cure you of any disease, just giving <laughs> helpful tips. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's a few things that I love cause they, they work to activate the immune system and it really helps if you take them right when you feel like you're about to get sick, cause usually you can knock it out. Um, there's one called Gaia quick defense that I am obsessed with. I remember, um, a couple tours ago, we had this really, really gnarly, like, I think it was a flu that was floating around in our crew. Oh, and ever gosh. But yeah, it was really bad. Like Tove and I both got very, very sick and cause we didn't catch it in time, but our keyboardist, uh, one day came up to me and he was like, man, he's like, I'm so bummed. I feel like I might be getting what you guys are getting. And I handed him the quick defense and I was like, okay, you take this for two days and you will not get it. I swear. And he didn't get it. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I swear by that stuff. If you take it in enough time in advance. And then there's another one called wellness formula. That's really great too. Um, 
it kind of tastes actually the pills are really gross I'm gonna be honest <laughs> and anytime like people start getting sick in our crew they dread having to take these pills because they're these massive horse oh my pills gosh oh I hate those oh but I if they know. help hey you know <laughs> exactly but they really do help so <laughs> that's awesome yeah. And do you pre-plan, like, how do you choose the restaurants that you're going to go to in each city? Do you Google it beforehand or do you just kind of go with it when you, when you get there? You know, it really depends on the timing. Um, if we're flying in or, you know, if we're riding on the bus or something and I, I have time ahead of time to do it, I'll look the night before or I'll look on the plane. Um, and I, usually what I do is I have this whole system where, you know, I Google where we're staying. I Google where she's playing. And I, first of all, I look for organic places if I can't find organic, then I'll look for, you know, something comparable and healthy. Um, but for a lot of the places here in the U.S., we've been there so many times now that I have a whole database in my phone. Of oh, my gosh. Up. Yeah. And actually, that's something I'm working on putting on my blog right now. I'm actually um, we'll probably be releasing it within the next couple of weeks because I've just I've been getting flooded with questions from people um, you know, I'm going to this city, where should I go? And I want to have a resource so that people can just go to my site and look it up. Oh, that's amazing. But, and, yeah. and what's your site really quick so that people can look out for that? Yeah, it's realfoodology.com. So it's like realfoodology.com. I love that. Awesome. Yeah. So what do you look, um, what do you look for in the restaurants that you're buying food for, um, for your crew, do you, you said organic and healthy restaurants, but what does that mean really to you? Yeah. Okay. So my whole philosophy is I don't believe in diets. I just believe in eating real food. Um, I think we've gotten so caught up in, you know, packages and all these processed foods that we've kind of forgotten just how to eat real food. So when I'm looking for healthy restaurants, like I said, you know, a foolproof proof way to find that is usually to search for organic just because naturally, organic places tend to be more, you know, on the side of making whole real food. Um, and so I look for stuff. I don't, I'm like trying to think of the best way to, to explain this. Like we love, you know, doing, this is actually a really popular thing with restaurants right now are like bowls, you know, where you just load yeah, it up with yeah, yeah. salad. Yeah. And, and you know, if you eat meat, there's meat and stuff. Um, so that's kind of what I look for is, you know, I'll, I'll scour all the different restaurants I can find with the best reviews and I'll read, um, all the menus and go through and, um, yeah, I just look for real food, honestly. That's so cool. Oh yeah. And I know I was in Paris a few weeks ago and I stopped at this place called wild in the moon and oh. it was like a juice bar. And then I saw you a few days later there and I was like, Oh, it's so cool. One of Courtney's spots. <laughs> oh. You know what's so funny about that place? We we might as well have moved in there. Me, Tove and I went there almost every day that we were in Paris. Really? Yeah. It's so nice Old to find time. those spots so that you can stay healthy during the trip and everything. Yeah, it really is. It, it makes all the difference too, you know, especially when you're traveling a lot. And, you know, if you're eating like crap, you're going to feel like crap. So, um, but when when you're eating well, it's like, you know, then you have energy to explore the city, you have energy to get your work done or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing and it just makes all the difference. Yeah, so true. And what are a few essential nutrients that you want to get in your clients' diets every day on tour? Like what are some foods that you, that are must-haves? Yeah. Okay. So I actually have four things um, that I kind of use to build my own meals and that I always try to, you know, incorporate for everyone that I work with. Um, and that is protein, fat, 
vegetables, so greens, some sort of vegetable or leafy green, and some sort of fiber. So you want, you know, a good portion of protein. You want, you know, one to two tablespoons worth of whatever kind of fat you have. So whether that's, um, you know, half of an avocado, um, almond butter, coconut oil, salmon, something that's really good, high in fat. Uh, and then pro, or I'm sorry, I already said protein. So the fiber <laughs> will help um, fill you up as well and, you know, just keep everything moving and going. And then you want some sort of greens and some sort of vegetables every day. Um, cause you want those phytonutrients that will help, uh, protect your body from free radical damage. That sounds perfect. Keep everyone so healthy. And you mentioned fat. Explain a little bit about why everyone needs fat in their diet, because that's something that we're still all getting around to knowing about. And, there's a lot of fear, I feel like, around fat still. So why don't you explain all about fat? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's funny because we, we've been conditioned to be so scared of fat. <laughs> and then look what happened. I mean, now, you know, disease has exploded in the last 20 years. Um, we have an obesity epidemic. And the problem is, is that when we took out fat, then we replaced it with sugar, first of all. And so it was, you know, raising blood sugar levels and, you know, causing more cravings. And then you're starving an hour later. Um, and fat is what keeps you satiated or keeps you satisfied. So um, why you want, it's essentially why you want fat is it will help keep you full for longer and keep you satisfied for longer. So I've noticed personally in my own life, when, I've, when I started incorporating good healthy fats at every meal, I wasn't starving an hour later. Yeah. And actually, a lot of people don't know this. Fat is a really good source of energy. Really? Yeah. So it's another way. So obviously, your body uses glue, or I shouldn't say obviously, many, some people may not know this, but <laughs> um, your main source of energy is glucose, which we get from sugar and carbohydrates. But what a lot of people don't know is that we actually, our bodies can also use fat for energy. Um, and so a lot of people, that's why there's been such a you know, a craze around the, the high fat diet recently, because people are realizing that it's keeping them full for longer. And it's giving you the more energy too, because your body can actually um, use fat for energy. Yeah. And it's such a great way to start your day because then you don't have to eat immediately after. Like I know for me, I mean, I don't mind eating often. I do. But if I'm in school, it's really great if I put like, sometimes I'll just eat an avocado along with some eggs or something for breakfast. And then it lasts me until lunchtime. You know, if I just eat, yeah, if I just eat some eggs on their own, sometimes I'll get hungry really soon. And it's hard because, you know, especially in school, we have a lunch break and then you're not allowed to eat food in between, which can be really hard for me sometimes. Yeah. But when I, oh, when I have the fat, I can I can go the the couple hours because it keeps me full and it it really does give you energy like you can feel it, which is so yeah. amazing. Yeah, it really does. What are some um, fat-filled snacks that you like to bring on the tour bus with you guys? Yeah, so there's two different uh, bars that I really, really like. And I want to I preface this by saying I'm really not a food bar person. I feel like some people, you know, love them. They eat them every day. And yeah. that is totally fine. It's no, like, judgment. But I'm not usually a food bar person. Uh, but there are two that I absolutely love. And there's one called the Bulletproof Bar. And he specifically, the, the guy behind it, Dave Asprey, specifically designed these bars to be like the highest fat that he could possibly put in a bar. <laughs> and they're so good. They they're taste so like, good. Oh, they are so good. The vanilla one tastes like a cookies and cream, like cookie batter or something. I don't even oh, know yeah. how to 
explain it. Yeah, it's it's melts in your mouth. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And that one's great too because it's portable, you know, and we can travel with it wherever. And then Primal Kitchen makes another bar. Um, what are they called? I guess they're just called like macadamia and sea, sea salt. Yeah. Nuts, maybe. And they have a couple different flavors, but the macadamia one is my favorite. Oh, oh those are so good. I love the hazelnut one. Oh, yeah. They're that really one's- good. Yeah. And they're super, I think it's like three grams of sugar or less in every yeah. bar. So I think it's monk fruit that they sweeten them with, but yeah. it's so high fat. And I think it's like 15 grams of protein or something. It's amazing. I know it really is. And so those keep you really full for a long time. And uh, yeah, they're great. What are their snacks do you like to bring on the tour bus? Uh, let's see. I mean, we have kind of the traditional stuff, um, you know, like chopped veggies. So we have something I want to preface by saying we have something that's called a, a rider. And whenever we play shows, I turn in the rider. Um, we usually turn it in like a week or two in advance. And essentially, it's a list of all the food that we want in, in our dressing room that day. And then if we're on a tour bus, we'll all take whatever's left over and put it on the bus that night. Okay. And, um, a, a lot of the stuff that's on our rider is, you know, so I put hummus and chopped veggies. And so I'll transfer that to the bus later. And then, uh, I don't know if you've ever had the Jackson's coconut oil, uh, sweet potato chips. Have I? Oh my gosh. Oh, my <laughs> they're, so good. they're so good. <laughs> I usually have to put two to three bags on a rider because one bag never leaves the green room. Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We scarf those down like crazy. Um, let's see what else. Coconut oil, popcorn. Yeah. There's that fat. Yes. It's so good. There's a brand that uses like Himalayan pink salt and coconut oil in it. It's Amazing. Yeah, that's delicious. And really? it, everything with the fat just it tastes so much better. Like you taste really something does. that's low fat and it just tastes hollow and yucky. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. I I love that you brought that point up too because it really it really does make a difference. Yeah. Um let's see, I'm trying to think of what else we have on our riders for snacks go. Uh, you know, just almonds, cashews, those are always really great to just eat, you know, in a hurry. Uh, I love having organic green apples. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about just having an apple and a tablespoon or two of almond butter or peanut butter that is just so satisfying and filling Yeah, and so good, especially if you train your palate to not, if you, if you limit your sugar intake, uh, your palate actually changes. And so apples to me now are like candy. They're yeah. so sweet. I don't know if you've noticed that, but Totally. I know. And those green apples are great because they're lower in sugar, but you still get that sweetness, which is fun. Exactly. And you mentioned earlier, and I've seen this on your Instagram stories before, where you say, drink your greens, eat your fruits. And I see you every morning in every town getting green juice for um, sugar-free, fruit-free green juice for your um, crew. So explain a little bit about why that is, why you eat your fruit and drink your greens. Yeah. Okay. So this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about because Yay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, because it, you know, with the whole juice craze, it drives me a little nuts because everywhere you go, you know, you see green juices everywhere, but they're always loaded with, uh, apple, pineapple, mango, banana, all this other stuff. And I'm not talking, you know, badly about fruit at all. Fruit is great. But the reason why I say eat your fruit, don't drink it is because when you eat your fruit, you have the fiber intact. So perfect example, uh, if I eat an apple, I'm getting all the fiber with the the juices essentially of the apple. Whereas if I was just a juice, the apple juice, all you have left is essentially sugar water. And what happens is when you don't have that fiber, it doesn't slow down 
the ingestion of the sugar in your bloodstream. So essentially you just have straight sugar going to your bloodstream. Whereas if you have fiber, it slows that process down. It's not going to spike your insulin in your blood. It's not going to spike your blood sugar and release more insulin to bring that blood sugar back down, if that makes sense. So yeah. uh, Yeah. So what happens is, you know, when your insulin or when your blood sugar spikes and your insulin comes in to bring your blood sugar back down, then you're going to have this spike of energy and then a quick crash. And then you're going to just going to crave more sugar. So instead of, that's why I always say, you know, you want to eat your fruit because you have the fiber intact. And then when you drink your green, uh, green veggie juice, just don't, I just don't put fruit in it. I put lemon in there to cut it and it takes the bitterness out of the greens and actually makes it taste amazing. I love that. Yeah, that's so great to know because I I almost accidentally bought a green juice the other day and I looked and it said like 28 grams of sugar or something. And I was like, wait, this can't be healthy with that much sugar. And you might be getting that much sugar with an apple, but since the fiber is in it, you metabolize it differently. I think that's really interesting. Exactly. What might your green juice consist of? What's one of your favorite combos that tastes really good? Yeah. Okay. Let me think. I got one yesterday that was really good. It was uh, cucumber, celery, parsley, spinach, lemon, and ginger. Ooh, and that it was sounds good. So good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. So like kind of spicy and a little, you know, like spicy lemonade. With oh green yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. so we're not eating the um, the fiber with the greens in our green juice, though, right? So how does our body metabolize that? Is that different from the fruit? Yeah. So, well, essentially the, the reason why I love green juices too is you're getting, okay. So if you have one green juice, think about how many greens are in that green juice. So you probably put, you know, one to two cucumbers in there, uh, you know, probably a a five or six stalks of celery, you know, huge handfuls of spinach, whatever the greens are that you're putting in there, you think about, you're putting mass quantities of it in there. I could never eat that much vegetables in a sitting or in a day like who eats you know two cucumbers a day and a couple stalks of you know if you put kale in there sometimes you can put an entire bunch of kale in a juice nobody would ever eat that much in a day it's so true I'm so bad at eating greens it's hard I have to put it in a drink it is yeah absolutely and the thing is I always tell people you don't want your green juice to entirely replace you're just eating your greens as well because you want to eat the green, some of the greens as well, because then you get some of that fiber and, and you want that, but you're, you also want the reason why we're, why we're eating greens in the first place is we want the phytonutrients from that. And those are, um, what caught, what make the, the greens green essentially. And those are what your cells need to help fight off aging, fight off free radicals, free radicals are, are what essentially, um, are the root of disease, honestly. And that's one of the main reasons that we eat greens in the first place. And you want as many as you, you know, as many as you can possibly handle in a day. And so that's kind of my way of just loading up on them by juicing them because you're getting all the phytonutrients from it. Essentially you're getting everything that you want to ingest in greens except for the fiber so that's why I say, you know, drink the greens, but then you also want to eat some for the fiber. That's great. That's so good to know. Yeah. So you could, you're not getting the fiber, but you're getting the phytonutrients and you could just eat the fiber for another meal or exactly. with some chia seeds in it or something. Yeah, that's exactly. Great. So I'll have a green juice as a snack, you know, at least once a day. 
And then I will also have a salad at some point during the day, either for lunch or dinner, or, you know, a side salad or whatever it is to okay. also get this, the fiber. That's great. And I want to go back to when we were talking about the collagen bars. Explain yeah. to us a little bit about, because I know you know so much about this, why should we be putting collagen in our diets and drinking bone broth and all that stuff? Because it's so huge right now. Yeah, it is huge. So I read this amazing book called uh, Nourishing. Oh, you know what? Wait, I think it's called Nourishing Broth. Um, I'm gonna have to look that up for you. But it's amazing because it talks all about the traditional um, way that we used to make bone broth. And well, you know, we used to just call it stock. But the reason now why we call it bone broth is we have to differentiate because now if you were just to go to the store and buy stock, oh my gosh, it's, <laughs> it's all like fillers and stuff. I don't know if you've noticed that. But, it is, yeah, yeah. So bone broth is the real like traditional way of making stock, um, which is you know the base for soups essentially. And as we age, our collagen slowly starts to break down just naturally. I mean, it's just something that happens. And when we consume collagen, so for example, in bone broth or in these collagen supplements, it helps to replenish our, our collagen back essentially. So and collagen is what helps um, lubricate your joints. It helps, it helps keep your skin elastic. So it helps keep away wrinkles. Um, you know, I, I recommend it for honestly everyone, but especially for people that are athletes or that are working out a ton because it will help lubricate those joints and keep you from getting injured essentially. That's awesome. I know. I feel like it's the miracle supplement or not even supplement, just food yeah. <laughs> it has so many benefits. And how would you incorporate that into, um, the whole band's diet on the road when you're touring? Yeah, so I bring these little travel packets that I have of collagen, and a few of the guys actually don't take it, but Tove and I take it every single morning, because, I mean, she specifically, I love when she gives me feedback on stuff like this, but recently, uh, she'd asked me to buy her more, because she was just like, I, my hair is growing like crazy, my nails are growing like crazy, this is amazing. She was like, I noticed such a difference when I started wow. taking yeah, that's incredible. That's, it's really cool. And that's another benefit of it, too. It helps with hair growth, with nail growth. Oh, and you know what? There's another thing that I forgot to mention, too. It has these healing sugars in it. They're, they're called sugars, um, but obviously they're not the same as glucose, but that help seal your stomach so or your intestines. One of the main uh, health issues that we're seeing right now is leaky gut syndrome. And a lot of that, and then it starts, you know, going into IBS and Crohn's and all of these digestive disorders. And these proteins essentially help seal back up the gut and heal it. So I always tell people, you know, if you have any sort of IBS, Crohn's, anything like that going on, incorporate a collagen supplement in because it will help heal your digestive system. And when we're talking about all of this collagen, I know I usually use it from beef bones, but you can also do chicken or marine collagen. Yeah. Um, how do you eat your meat and what, what kind of meat should we be getting if we're not vegetarian or vegan? Okay. This is another one of my favorite subjects to talk about. So Yay. <laughs> I love this. Yay. <laughs> I personally am very strict about this on the road. If I can't find organic meat, I will eat a vegetarian meal out. So organic in, at least in the U S um, the U S is the one, the country that you want to be worried about the most. We, we have factory farmed animals in this country. And if you're not eating organic meat, you're essentially, this is going to be really gross, but you're essentially eating sick animals if you're not eating organic. Wow. Um, the, 
it's really bad. The, the conditions that these animals live in that it, where conventional meat comes from are dirty. They're disgusting. They're crammed. Um, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's, I, I honestly hate to say this, but it's basically like slavery for these animals. I mean, they're, they're, you know, cooped up in these tiny little boxes. And then because they're so close together, there's disease that's rampant and many of them die from it. If they don't die from it, they, you know, they're, they're loaded up on antibiotics to keep them from getting sicker. Oh. And then they're giving, it's really bad. And then they're giving, given growth hormones because, they want to make them as big and fat as they possibly can in the smallest amount of time. And this is all, mind you, for the profit of these companies. This has nothing to do with the health of the animals, the health of the people that they're feeding. It all has to do with the, the company's bottom line. And they're trying to fatten up these animals and get them you know, as fat as they possibly can so they can send them off to slaughter. So if you're eating conventional meat, I hate to say it, but you're eating sick animals that are loaded with antibiotics and hormones, and then they're fed genetically modified feed. And the reason why this is really bad is they're mostly fed gen genetically modified corn. Genetically modified corn is bred so that it has pesticide actually in the corn. So with the EPA, uh, GMO corn is registered as a pesticide, not a food. Oh my which gosh. Which is crazy. Are you serious? Right? Yeah, it's Jeez. not registered as food. And they're feeding these animals this. Cows, for example, were their stomachs are designed for grass. Right. So when they eat other things besides grass, they get sick. And so they're essentially inflamed, they're sick, you know, and then like I explained before, then they have to go on antibiotics. And that's why there's been such a huge movement towards grass-fed organic beef, for example, because when they're just left to their own vices to roam the land and eat grass, they're happy, they're healthy, they're eating what their stomachs were designed to eat. So they, in turn, produce healthier and better meat for us because they're that's, not ashamed. Yeah, that, oh, that's so crazy yeah. what those companies do. It's so selfish. They just want the most profit, obviously. I mean, and so when we're buying beef, is organic enough or should it also say grass-fed? If you're buying beef, it should be grass-fed. Okay. Because like I said before, um, even with organic beef, um, if it's not grass fed, then they're still being fed corn, unfortunately. And here's the thing, you know, I know budget is a huge thing and I know grass fed organic beef is a lot more expensive. So, I mean, if you just really, really can't find it in your budget, then just buy organic beef. It's infinitely better than buying conventional and, you know, there's another thing that's really interesting, too, about grass-fed beef versus corn-fed beef. Because their bodies, you know, because their stomachs and their bodies were designed for grass, as I mentioned earlier, they produce a healthier meat, which is higher in omega-3s, which is what you want. So, and when they're eating a diet of corn, their, their meat comes out um, higher in omega-6s, which is actually, which leads to inflammation in our bodies as well. Wow. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And I think I had such a breakthrough when I when my whole family did we found out about grass fed meat because we were staying on a farm in Vermont actually that farmed um, grass fed beef. Uh -huh. um, and I just gone gluten free and I was still vegetarian at that point. And I was I saw how happy the cows lives were. And that was the first time I ever tried beef in my life was on that farm. And it that's shows so cool. how, yeah, if they're having happy lives and you get to see that, I think that's such a great connection because 
I wasn't afraid to eat the meat and I didn't feel as I didn't feel bad really because I saw how happy they were and how yeah. long their lives were and everything like their whole their big grass-fed pastures and stuff that was so amazing to see how that that can be an option and it made me so much healthier when I started eating the the beef <laughs> oh I bet yeah oh that's so cool it really does make a difference you know and and I know you know some I know vegans will argue well how can they live a happy life if, you know, if they're getting killed? I mean, the reality is, is that they're all, we're all going to die eventually, you know? And so why not let them live out a healthy life and then we consume them, you know, once they've lived their healthy life versus having the factory farmed meat where, you know, they only live like three to four years because they're just hopping them up on uh, the growth hormones and then they send them to slaughter. And the, the time that they live on this earth is horrible. Yeah. So, it's yeah. just, and then, you know, and, and in turn, then it's bad for us to consume that meat too. So overall, it's a win-win for the grass-fed organic meat because they live better lives. And then in return, we're healthier. From yeah. Them. Oh, yeah, exactly. For the yeah. health of it, eat grass-fed beef. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love your videos. As I said, guys, go watch for the health of it. Courtney's videos, they're amazing. And you also did one about eggs. And I want to hear a little bit about the egg labels because I know we used to buy cage-free, free-range, and then we sort of started hearing more about the pasture-raised, and now that's all we buy. But I want to hear about what you think about that and what labels should we be buying? It's so confusing. And we think they all mean the same thing, but then they don't. And yeah, just why don't you clarify that for us? Yeah. Okay. So... You know, I got to think, I got to make sure I remember the exact parameters of it. So basically I did a post and a video a while back about egg labeling because you go to the grocery store and you're just bombarded with all these different labels of, like you said, free range and there's cage free and this and that. And I did some digging and I found out that cage free and free range really don't mean anything. Honestly, it's just I mean, they're, they're basically not regulated. And what it means is so cage free just simply means that the birds are not in cages. But, you know, I would encourage all of your listeners to go out and Google cage free and look at the photos. It is not a way to live. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, these, these poor chickens, they are just crammed in these barns and yeah, they're not in cages, but they're basically living on top of each other. So not only is it, you know, horrible for them, but then again, as I'd mentioned earlier, you know, these animals are in such tight quarters that disease is rampant. So again, you know, they're, they're fed antibiotics to make sure that they don't get sicker. And a lot of them die because it's horrible living conditions. And then, so that's cage free, if you can imagine that. And then free range means that they have to have some sort of access to the outdoors. So that means generally that they'll have one little tiny door in this crammed barn and the birds can only fit one out at a time. So most of them never make it outside anyways, but then they can call them free range because the, the argument is, well, they can get outside if they want. Oh my gosh. But like the reality of it is not really. Yeah, they can't get so, out. Yeah, it's horrible. And so, you know, they're living in these filthy crammed environments Whereas pasture raised, these chickens are living as they were, you know, meant to designed to live as mother nature designed them to live. So pasture raised is exactly how it sounds. They, you know, live outside in the grass. They're free to roam, eat bugs and grass, which is what they were meant to eat. And that's another thing I want to mention too. I think it's so funny when these egg companies advertise vegetarian fed. I know. Don't buy it. <laughs> I 
know. I'm always like, wait, what is that? Why is that like something to advertise? It's garbage, honestly, because the vet. Okay, so here's the thing. The vegetarians that are eating eggs, that's still, that's not, it doesn't matter if if that makes sense, you know, like, because the vegans are not going to be eating eggs. So why are we even feeding these chickens vegetarian feed anyways? And I'll tell you, it's to, again, save money. Oh. because they're giving they're just feeding them really cheap corn right it's like the cheapest thing to farm it seems like yeah exactly and you know and, and obviously they're feeding them this because then they don't have to give them access outside they can just keep them crammed in this barn or you know wherever they have them but so the pasture raise is really important because then you know they they're outside they're happy they're eating what nature intended and they're getting vitamin d which means that they're producing higher levels of omega-3s and then we're going to get, you know, higher levels of omega-3s in our eggs. So overall, it's just a healthier egg for us and a healthier yeah. life for these chickens too. Yeah, totally. And just for those of us, like I know I eat at least eggs <laughs> at least once a day because they just, they're so full of protein and stuff. But what is it about these pasture-raised eggs and just eggs in general that are so good for us? Okay, well, they're really high in omega-3s, um, which is what you want. It's great for brain health um, and a multitude of other things. And then it also get, is a great source of protein, and you have a ton of um, essential vitamins in the egg yolk. And actually, oh, I have to admit, I don't remember all the vitamins that are in egg yolks. I'd have to look that up. That's okay. Well, they're really good for you people. <laughs> yeah. They're loaded with tons of essential vitamins. Okay. That's so great to know. So would that, because it's so good for brain health, is that a good thing to start your day off with? Yeah, I would think so. One of my favorite things is, I mean, just the simple, you know, eggs and I'll do organic turkey bacon and avocado in the morning. And then if you do bread, some sort of, I do gluten-free, so gluten-free toast. And then you have a full balanced meal there. Protein, um, fat. Oh, you could add, you know, some steamed spinach and you get your greens. Yeah. Oh, and it tastes so good. I love it. That's like my... My favorite go-to breakfast. Me too. And since I'm a paleo baker and I'm all about the baked goods, I want to hear your take on sweeteners and what kind of sweeteners you like to use when you're making sweet things. You know, maple syrup and honey and stevia and what you think about those and which you prefer, honestly, sugar-free or not, which do you like the best? You know, it, to be honest, it really depends on what I'm making. Um, my, one of my favorite things to bake with is coconut sugar. And, you know, here's the thing that I want to mention. At the end of the day, sugar is still sugar. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's coming from coconut sugar or white sugar. And, and I say that meaning it does, but it also doesn't. So I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So essentially, you know, even though you're having these quote unquote healthier sugars and they are healthier, but it doesn't just mean it's a free for all pass to just, you know, have however much you want all the time just because it's a healthier version. But you want these healthier versions because they do provide, you know, vitamins and minerals and they're not going to have the same impact on your blood sugar as say like corn syrup does. I love coconut sugar because it's loaded with vitamins and it's, it's a real, it, you can find it in nature. So I always say the sweeteners that you want to use are ones that you can find in nature. So honey, uh, maple syrup, and coconut sugar. They're the least processed um, sugars available. Whereas, for example, corn syrup is genetically modified corn that's been boiled down 
and you know separated from the different sugars and it's basic it's basically a really really high concentrated form of fructose and it does not exist in nature like they have to make it yeah. somewhere yeah i know i was looking at a i was looking in the like whole foods i think it was the other day and i saw organic corn syrup on the shelf and i was like wait oh. how can this this can't be healthy like just cuz it says organic that can't it's still so processed i know it is it's so processed and the problem is, is that it's really, really high in fructose. And our bodies metabolize fructose differently than glucose. So glucose is your body's main source of energy. Fructose is not. Fructose essentially skips the entire ATP process and goes straight to your liver. And ATP is energy in your body, by the way. So we don't use fructose for energy. And instead, your fructose goes straight to your liver and any excess fructose that is not metabolized by your liver is essentially sent to your fat stores. So it's one of the one of the many theories that you know experts have now that's contributing to this obesity epidemic because we have corn syrup in everything now. Yeah, and you know it's linked to metabolic disorder and diabetes and a whole slew of things. So yeah, the <laughs> you don't want to use corn syrup. Yeah, <laughs> so, and you mentioned ATP. Wow, I feel so smart. I learned that in freshman biology last year. I thought I would never hear the word again, but here we go. So apparently it's it's good that I learned that. Yeah. <laughs> ATP and glucose. Yeah, that comes back. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so to answer your question, my favorites are coconut sugar, which I love to use. Um, and it tastes so good, too. It's kind of like a brown sugar taste, which is amazing. Um, honey, maple syrup, and then, you know, I use stevia. Stevia is a, an interesting one, and I get a lot of questions about this. Yeah, so, I wanted to hear about your take on that. Yeah, so if it's 100% pure stevia leaf, I'm okay with it, and I think that's fine because all it is, it's just a leaf that happens to be very, very sweet, and they grind it down into a fine powder and use it, you know, as a, non, as a sugar substitute. But the problem is, is that a lot of, you know, these huge food corporations have caught on to the stevia trend and they're making their own stevia sweeteners. But if you read the back of the ingredients, and I don't want to name any of these ones, but the, the major brands that I'm sure most people probably know what I'm talking about, if you go and look at the ingredient labels on there, they'll say dextrose. Dextrose. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah, which is a, a corn based sweetener. And so there's a lot of different things. And if it's not organic, that means that you have GMO corn in there. So you want to make sure that it's 100% pure stevia leaf. And there's a couple of brands that use it. So just, you know, read your labels and make sure as long as it says 100% stevia, you're fine. Okay. Yeah. I think I found an organic pure stevia leaf. I actually checked and it didn't have dextrose. I think it was from Trader Joe's actually. And it's oh, really awesome. good. Yeah. So you can use it as a sugar substitute, I guess, in... And keto people are especially liking that and stuff because it's no yeah. sugar and it's so sweet. Yeah. And I really, I like monk fruit too a lot. That's a newer one that I've started using. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. That one's a great one too. And you started seeing, like you mentioned the paleo goods, a lot of paleo companies are using monk fruit now as well, which is great because it doesn't spike your, your blood sugar. So it's kind of like stevia in that way. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty cool. And I wanted to talk about oils for cooking because I yes. used to use olive oil for everything. And then we started to hear more about, 
you know, the carcinogens and how that can happen from the oil and how it has to have a high smoke point. So we started using more, you know, animal fats and coconut oil. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the oils that we should be using for different things? Because I saw you did a For the Health of It video on that too. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love that you're just asking me about all these because these are <laughs> some of my favorite subjects. Yeah, about. I know. It's like, I want to know about it. So I'm sure all of our listeners do too. Yeah. Oh, cool. Thanks. So so the smoke point is just essentially the temperature at, at when an oil starts to burn and smoke. So um, and a lot of people don't know this, but different oils have different smoke points. And that essentially just means how much heat they can take before they start turning carcinogenic, essentially. Um, and olive oil, which is one I always tell people, just just save olive oil for cold dishes, you know, like cold pasta dishes, um, salads, anything that you're going to eat cold. That's what I would use for olive oil because olive oil has a really, really low smoke point. And what happens is once it hits that smoke point, then it starts. Um, I can't think of the word right now, but it, it essentially changes the molecular makeup of the oil and it starts wow. to make them go rancid essentially. And that's what starts causing them to be carcinogenic and carcinogenic means cancer causing. And this is a, I mean, this is like a very well studied thing, just in general, the smoke point and carcinogenic properties of certain things that go past a certain heat point. And so that's the reason why you want olive oil for your cold dishes. And then for example, coconut oil has actually, you know, coconut oil has a pretty medium smoke point. So coconut oil is good if you're, you know, like frying your eggs or yeah. um, maybe even like, you know, baking chicken at like 350, 400. But if you're going really, really high, if you're like roasting something at 450, you want to use avocado oil because avocado oil has a 500 degree smoke point. So it's the highest among any of the cooking oils. And so, yeah, you're essentially going to be able to use it with really high temperatures and not. And I love avocado oil, too, because it doesn't give your food any flavor. It's yeah, essentially it's so neutral. Yeah, it's so neutral. So I love, I tell a lot of people, replace your canola oil with avocado oil because you're not going to notice the difference in taste and your body is going to notice the difference and the health benefit. So yeah. And if we're not afraid about the fat, we can do all of these avocado, coconut oil, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I'd like to go into a little bit about gut health because it's something that's going around so much right now. And I just want to know from you, what does that mean and why should we care? Yeah. Okay. So the reason why gut health is such a popular subject right now, one, it's being studied like crazy right now. In the last 10 years, we've had so much research come out about it. And what has come out and what we've realized is that almost everything like happens in the gut, starts in the gut. So, um, diseases, even just, you know, something as simple as like a skin condition, like eczema and psoriasis have actually been linked to food allergies and disorders of the gut. So what's happening is we're realizing that if your gut health is not fully in line, so if it's inflamed or, you know, if you have some sort of digestive disorder going on, even if something as simple as your microflora, your, your good versus bad bacteria balance in your gut is off, then it'll start manifesting you know, as disease in your body, essentially, and you'll start seeing all these signs and symptoms. And a lot of times when we realize that if you treat the gut first, all of these other symptoms start slowly to disappear. Wow. Really, really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there's another really cool link that we've now found. So um, there's, we've found that there's a direct link between 
our guts and our brains, and it's through uh, the vagus nerve. And it's this nerve that runs straight from our brain down into our gut. And it's why um, we're now realizing that, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that, if your gut health is not completely in line, then it can actually affect your brain too and lead to, you know, depression, anxiety, and it's really interesting. Wow, that's amazing. And as we know, our gut is... Yeah, it has like a whole brain down there, I've been told before. <laughs> yeah, and it's because of that direct link with the vagus nerve. Wow. So what are some things that people can start to do to strengthen their gut health? Yeah, so the first one is you want to get your good gut bacteria balance in line. So every every single person's gut has a balance of good and bad bacteria. Now, obviously, you know, you, the bad bacteria does play a part, but essentially you want more good versus bad because they kind of, they keep a balance with each other, but you want more good gut bacteria. So the first thing is I try to get everybody on a probiotic and probiotic will feed that good gut, gut bacteria and just make sure that you have a good amount of good gut bacteria in your microbiome, which is your microbiome is the little, um, is what we refer to as your, your gut flora, your gut bacteria. Okay. So that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing is I would say, you know, get tested for food allergies. A lot of people, you know, will have an inflamed gut, which is essentially just, you know, an irritated gut, which is a response to food allergies that sometimes people don't even know. I mean, obviously we know of the very, um, apparent allergies where, you know, someone breaks out in hives or they go in anaphylactic shock. But what a lot of people don't realize is that you could have a food allergy and have no clue that what is manifesting as your allergy is, you know, you get eczema on your skin or you have psoriasis or, um, you know, you have some crazy digestive stuff going on. And what could be happening is you really could just be eating something that you're allergic to and you have no idea. So I would go get tested for food allergies if you're having any sort of issue like that. A very common one, and I know a lot of people like to talk crap on this, but it is very common right now is gluten. A lot of people are, are showing signs and symptoms of being allergic to wheat. You know, I went gluten-free seven years ago and it's wow. so, it's so funny because so when I was younger, I had a few like little things. I mean, they really weren't like major, major health issues, but you know, they bugged me at the time. And it's so funny because I had this epiphany maybe like a year or two ago. I, I still, even me and the way that my brain works had not connected the dots on this. But when I was younger, I had... I've never gotten diagnosed with this, but but looking back on it, what I'm almost positive was eczema under one of my eyes and it would get really scaly and flaky. And I mean, it was horrible. And I had it all through high school and like, you know, through college. And then I cut out gluten and looking back during that time period, it completely went away and has never come back. And it was the only thing in my life that I had changed. I never went on medication. I never got diagnosed with it or anything. And then there was another thing too. I used to have these bumps on the back of my arms. Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. Those completely went away. How cool is that? Yeah, me too. And on my knees too, the bumps and they just, they all went away. It's amazing. And an interesting thing is that I went to Europe this summer and I was able to eat the the wheat there. And a lot of people yeah. there have celiacs, um, but most of the people are okay with the gluten. And I realized that's because apparently it's, yeah. the Roundup and the pesticides and the GMOs that are used here that aren't there. So I found that really interesting. Do you know anything about that? Yes. Another one of my favorites. So just to talk about. 
because I just, I feel so passionately about this. This is actually one of my, my major things that I focus on in my blog because I find it so, it is so incredibly important for our lifetime that we figure this out and, and stop using these pesticides because, um, yeah, so there's actually been a couple studies conducted and they're still actually studying this right now. So they don't know a hundred percent, but it is, is a, a hypothesis that, the reason why we are seeing such an influx in celiac and just wheat intolerance in general is because our wheat crops are one of the most highly sprayed crops in our country with pesticides. And the number one pesticide, or it's actually technically classified as an herbicide, it's called glyphosate or better known as Roundup, which you brought up. Yeah. And that is one of the major theories right now, because if you look at it on a graph, and you look at the influx of celiac and wheat intolerance, and then the timeline that we started using glyphosate on our wheat, they almost completely line up. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, it's wild. And yeah. you know, and so many people don't even realize this, but you know, we spray glyphosate on our crops right before they're harvested. Right before they're harvested. Oh, so, so we're just a, eating yeah. it. Just eating yeah. it. You just get a big old douse of of glyphosate. And this is another reason why it's so important to eat organic. Yeah. So even if we're eating organic wheat, might be, might we be getting some of that Roundup on it? Or is organic wheat safe for a lot of people who don't have gluten intolerance? Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a, a marked reaction to gluten, then I think it's fine if you eat organic wheat, um, as long as, you know, it doesn't affect you. But, you know, for a lot of people, it does. So, so it's always important to eat the organic, but if somebody is affected by it, I don't think that eating organic wheat is necessarily going to make a difference. So it totally depends on if your allergy is actually to the pesticide or the wheat, but it's pretty hard to, to determine that. A lot of people can go over to Europe and eat it and be completely fine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It really is. And I tested that out myself. So I was initially diagnosed with a wheat allergy like seven years ago and when at the time when I was diagnosed, I was getting such horrible stomach aches that I was like, you know, I'd end up on the ground in the fetal position after every meal. It was horrible. And I think since then I've, you know, I've been able to heal my gut long enough from not eating it that when I do eat it now, it doesn't give me that same effect, but I will notice, you know, the next day or two, actually I can in, uh, Oh my gosh, I get an inflammatory response from it. My immune system essentially flares up. And I've noticed like, so when I was in Europe, I went over there and I ate it and I didn't have any sort of digestive discomfort from it, but I got really sick like two days later. Oh, that's so interesting. So it came back in a different way because I was wondering about that when I was there because I felt like I had some sort of allergic reaction on my face. But I wasn't sure if it was from the gluten. Maybe that's why, because we were eating it for every single meal. We were so excited to finally, I was like, first time in six years and I can eat all the gluten I want. So that's really interesting. I felt like my throat was closing up and I didn't know what it was from. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, then you might actually really have like a wheat intolerance then. Yeah. Uh, well, that makes sense. It's all coming together now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so interesting. All right, before we wrap the show up, I want to go back to when you're talking about traveling with healthy food. And I want to hear a few pieces of advice from you for people traveling, just healthy travel tips. Ooh, okay. Um, I got to think about this for a second. Let's see. Okay, well, my number one would be, I mean, I feel like this is so obvious, but plan ahead. 
So a few days before every tour, I sit down, I organize all my vitamins, I make sure that I pack enough food bars, I make sure I pack enough of my supplements. And, um, you know, and, and I even pack like a few because of my food allergies, and I can't eat as much out as I'd like to. I'll pack like a couple cans of um, safe catch tuna. Oh, yeah, I love that so stuff. Like, oh, it's so good. And, you know, and my, my thinking is, okay, if I'm really in a pinch, and I like can't eat whatever's offered to me, you know, I can make something out of this. So always plan ahead, make sure you have enough stuff with you. And then I travel with my food. So Whenever we have flights, for example, um, if I'm home, I'll make meals for Tove and I before I leave. And, you know, and that could be a chia pudding for breakfast or, you know, I'll pack salads for us for lunch. It really depends on how long our flights are and when we land. And then if we're traveling, I will go to a restaurant before and pick up a salad or, you know, whatever it is and bring it with us on the plane because that really helps. Then you don't have to eat, you know, then you're not a victim to airplane food. Which yes. Is oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and, and airport food is like equally as gross. And for a last question, I want to know what's one thing that makes you jump for joy? Ooh. Oh man. I have to think about this for a second. One thing that makes me jump for joy. You know, I'm going to say spending time with friends. The older I get, the more I realize how important it is to have a really, really good group of genuine friends that you can count on and spending good genuine time with them. You know, even if it's just something as simple as going over to your friend's house and sitting in the backyard and, and having a glass of wine. I mean, and I've just really realized how important that is the older I get. Yeah, that's so great. And for people that want to keep in touch with you and see all of the amazing stuff you're doing, why don't you give us your website and your social media? Yeah. So everything across the board is Real Foodology. So my website is realfoodology.com. I have an Instagram, Real, Real Foodology. And then um, those videos that we were talking about earlier, you can find on my YouTube slash Real Foodology. Perfect. And the best name ever, by the way. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show, Courtney. It was such a pleasure to have you. Oh, it was such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jump for Joy. Make sure to subscribe and write a review. For healthy recipes and joyful living tips, check out my blog, goodiesagainstthegrain.com and follow me on Instagram at goodiesagainstthegrain. See you next time. Jump for joy.